Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 159, You Haven't Run Far Enough. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 5 of Angel, Fredless, as well as discussing the broader themes and character development of season 1 of Battlestar Galactica. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so Angel first this week with Fredless. It is the, what do we call it? The Fredisode. The Fredisode. Everybody, everybody <laughs> buckle in for the Fredisode. Um, yeah, and it in going through getting our notes ready for this episode, it really is all about Fred. Um, there's really not even hardly a subplot, um, you know, right. in this episode. And everything that the other characters do is, for the most part, sort of geared around you know, the character of Fred, um, which is good because I feel like, you know, we've had some uh, buildup of her character, but this is the first one that's really primarily concerned with her, I guess. And is mm. it turns out the one that's sort of about cementing her permanent place in the group. Um, yeah. You know, so... Which, you know, it could have gone either way. I, I think I knew going into this episode that she would be staying around for a while. So I was kind of, you know, somewhat respect expecting the, the reversal in the end. But definitely um, on first viewing, if you didn't know the context, this could be as much of an exit for the character if you didn't really know what was coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and just to your point about... Uh, you know, it it cementing sort of Fred's place in the group, um, and and also Amy Acker's place on the show. Sure. <laughs> like, because um, at this point, I it apparently wasn't even real clear on whether or not Fred was going to be a continued, you know, mm-hmm. character, or um, if she would end up sort of being like you know, around a while and then just sort of like fade off and, and kind of like Doyle. Well, you know, okay. Doyle dies, but sure. you know, like Fred might end up just have been like a minor character that we saw those few episodes. And right. Right. Don't ever really see again. But, so, um, yeah. So I guess, um, do you know if they knew going into the season that they were going to be keeping her around or did they wait a little while and see how she, played in the episodes before making a decision or yeah um no i don't know um if anybody out there knows yeah i i I don't know offhand um and there's nothing immediately available to me um (laughs) you know to to do that i mean this this is amy acker's first real recurring role of any show Mm -hmm. so um you know, like I could see, I could definitely see this being like, you know, she's untested. She, you know, you right. don't necessarily want to commit to having her right. be a long-term person until you can kind of see how she does. Right. Um, right. Her little dress rehearsal, you know, for the first couple episodes. Right. Um. But yeah, so I, you know, I, that's just speculation on my part so i'm not you know saying that that's necessarily the case but before this um 
she had a couple like one episode appearances on a couple of shows she had one there was one show where she appeared twice but other than that um just a handful of of credits at this point so not um not necessarily someone you would want to hang any hats on but sure um no with no disrespect to amy acker because i think she's fantastic (laughs) and um even even this at this early stage but certainly um she's been in plenty of other things as well um yeah but like you said this was with whedon uh but also in other things um i know she had a good run on like person of interest which my parents watch and Mm -hmm. they really enjoyed her there and Mm -hmm. um you know, I know there's been other shows where she's, uh, yeah, done well on. But anyway, yeah, well, and like you said, this was really her first, like, her kind of permanent recurring position. So it's sort of like you have to kind of, however it is that the actors get that break. You know, you have to yeah. kind of. I guess that's like any job, really. It's about convincing, you know, people want to give jobs to people who've had other jobs, but somebody has to give you that first job, you know, and take right. a chance on you and let you kind of grow into the, the role and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I kind of want to start uh, with the beginning and we kind of come back to it at the end, but um we're getting this idea of Fred not still not knowing for sure, really until the end of the episode, I think what her place in the group is, Um, you know, and even before we get into the parents showing up and that forcing a decision, you know, when it's still that she's just kind of hanging out with the group, we're still getting this idea that she's not totally settled yet in, you know, uh her place there um you know and so like there's little things like you know it becomes the the macguffin that saves the day at the end but like the the kind of contraption that she's working on you know this sort of suitcase hybrid with an axe like it's a weapon but maybe it makes toast like we're not quite sure does this i i kind of like that as like this little kind of symbol for Fred of like, okay, we know it does something, but we're not quite sure what. And, you know, it might be something really like deadly, like a weapon, but it also might just be something kind of plain and just sort of useful, like a toaster, you know, we don't quite know what to do with it. Um, And maybe, you know, Fred clearly has something in mind, but she hasn't explained it. And she hasn't really even announced it as, okay, this is this new weapon that I'm deciding. She just sort of leaves her crap around for people to sort of trip over. Um, So I kind of like that as like a little metaphor for, you know, the character and everything. Um, But like, even she doesn't really know, like um, when they're coming back in the sewer from getting their ice cream and, you know, the, the demon attacks and Angel sort of, says, you know, I got this and sends her off. There's that kind of, you know, note of, oh, you don't need me. Okay, bye. Like, she offers to help, and but he kind of lets her know, you know, he doesn't really, uh, you know, need her at this moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it's kind of bringing all those questions, you know, to the forefront for Fred. And you get it, too, in that little um, part when she's, 
once her parents know about everything and she's explaining, well, you know, uh, Wesley's the brains and gun is the muscle and all this stuff. And there's that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then there's that kind of, I forget what is Cordy's the heart. I forget what angel he's something else. Um, uh, yeah. Does she leave him out? Cause that's interesting. Oh, um, he's the champion. He's the champion. A- Angel's the champion. Wesley's the brains. Guns the muscle, and Cordy's the heart. Right, right. And I. So we our our triptych is now. Yeah. If we include Fred, it's now a, a pentatych. Something like that. So yeah, and it's that kind of okay. And I'm dot dot dot, and the sentence is sort of left hanging, um, and, I mean. I, we're talking about it. So to kind of jump towards the end, really, even when she decides to say, do we really know what, like, we don't necessarily have a one word. I don't know that I have like a one word thing for what she is like we have for the sure. others. But I don't know. In kind of thinking about all those pieces, it seems like she's kind of almost all of them. Like, you know, she kind of has the brains of Wesley, but she makes a weapon like, you know, gun. And she has the kind of loyalty and emotion, you know, that Cordy brings and everything. So, you know, I don't know if you feel differently than that. I don't know that I have like a, okay, we've identified Fred's thing and this is her thing that she contributes. It's more like she kind of takes all those things and kind of synthesized them at the end. Um, yeah because like it, it seems she's the, like she's the connective tissue sure <laughs> like uh, yeah no I, I I know what you're saying like I mean it would like, be easy to see Fred as just another Wesley but but obviously she feels she's, she's, she's contributing in a way that's different to what Wesley does and, and I feel like e- even though Wesley has shall we call it more street smart than he used to have? Yes. You know, like when we first saw him way back in Buffy um, and even early on in Angel, like he's still the bookish guy. Mm. Whereas I feel like Fred, you know, despite her desire to hide in caves and her room and whatnot, um, does at least have that experience of having been a slave and having to sort of learn how to hide and even in some respects fight for her life in Pylea and whatnot. So right. while she's not like the brawn, you know, she doesn't have the brawn that right. Gunn has, she does have sort of that wily street smart mm-hmm. attitude. Like, you know, Wesley never would have thought of like, uh, uh, contraption like she makes and she sort of passes it off as oh it was a random thought but it wasn't just a random thought a random thought is something you think and then it goes away right this is a random thought that she then takes and does something with and it becomes a useful tool right um so yeah like like if if you were to like rank or not maybe not rank but like classify or categorize like Wesley would be like the theoretical, mm. you know, researcher, whereas, you know, uh, maybe Fred is more like the 
applied scientist, like right. the technician or, you know, right. that kind of thing, which isn't what her training was. Like it was physics, which mm -hmm. makes you think more of that theoretical stuff based on like all of the equations and stuff that we see her writing on the walls and whatnot. But right. as it turns out, oh, she actually does have some practical experience and has some ability to turn her ideas into useful functioning things and also so which is interesting too because like I, you know i the, in a sense this episode is pretty simple and like apparently there was some like it's not really on the list of people's favorites like mm -hmm. i mean i think people like fred and mm -hmm. like it's important for her character development but it's not like you know, it's not going to make like the top 10 lists and, you know, whatever. It's mm -hmm. it's a serviceable episode. Um, kind of the whole like, oh, we're meeting the parents and, you know, like that sort of thing. I'm not even sure that that's done that well. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about them a bit when we get to them. But, mm -hmm. um, you know... I was going somewhere with all of that. Oh, so like uh, talking about the symbol of the contraption that she makes, like I do think there's some additional symbolism there with regard to what are they doing when they're, you know, at the beginning of the episode is they're organizing their weapons and they're organizing them. And, oh, this goes here. This goes here. This has this purpose. This has that purpose. And then there's this mm -hmm. thing that they don't know what to do with. Yeah. Which is kind of like what you're saying about Fred. Like right. she's, we don't know how to classify her in sort of the scheme of the team. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, that sort of adds to your idea that, you know, you can sort of look at the weapon as sort of the symbol for her because it's this weird, unique thing, but it's not just a weird, unique thing. It's a weird, unique thing that actually is useful and, and saves them. Right. You know, in the end. So. Right. And and it's it's usefulness, I think, lies in its kind of weird uniqueness. Like, you know, sure. the fact that like that's kind of, uh, you know, it doesn't get shelved away with the other weapons. It's sort of left yeah. out there and, and it's, you know, it's kind of there ready for her to come in and save the day in the end, even though the others didn't know how to use it or, you know, Fred knows how to right. use it. And right. that's why it kind of suits her. So, um, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the parents cause we meet the parents, as you said. Um, and yeah. you know, interesting that we do that cause I kind of, I think I said this in the podcast, remember, specifically saying like oh fred's around like she didn't like go home like mm. you know and, and and again i knew that she would be around but like i kind of noted the absence of okay where are the you know any sense of family or connections that fred had before her yeah. disappearance um right. so you know kind of nice that that like they acknowledge that and like bring that idea back in um and yeah i mean i kind of liked the way that you know it it doesn't take over the whole episode i think about by like halfway through they kind of everybody's kind of on the same page um so it's not like it's all about it but it, you know it's a it's a nice little 
fake out mystery that they kind of set up of like, okay, who are these people really? And, you know, you're like Cordy and all the others of like, something's wrong with these people. Like, you know, right. they're clearly some demonic, you know, slave holders who are coming to like drag Fred back to whatever hell she originally was living in. Right. And, you know, like, and, and you're thinking like, I, I remember thinking when I first saw this, you're comparing it to Tara's family. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, exactly. I don't, I don't know if you did, but I like that, didn't make that thought, uh, not consciously, but absolutely. Yeah. I think that this, I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> No, but that's what you're waiting for. And yeah. like whether it's Whedon and Buffy or other genre shows, that's in the kind of if in these kind of like genre shows, it's like if anybody's too normal, they can't mm. be that normal. Like something has to be wrong with them. You know, it's always like if there's somebody that's so wholesome that it's like that's just too good to be true. So you're waiting for the other like shoe to drop you know um and i mean on top of the fact that fred runs away from them and doesn't want to see them so you're you know you're already sort of primed to be thinking of why doesn't she want to see them and they must be bad people and everything right um well and and so then you get like the little asides right right like you get like um roger saying like oh should you know, should we call them in yet or what? Like, right. like, which I don't think we ever really get tied up, right? I don't think so. I mean, in going through the second time, I took that as like they're having the same suspicions about Angel and everyone that Angel is having about them. So it's a question of like, okay, when are we going to get like the cops involved or like, you know, how far do we let this go before we, like, call for some real authorities here? So you kind of see, like, each of them is equally suspicious of the other, and all the whispering on both sides makes them look even more suspicious than they already were. Um, so that's kind yeah. of how I... Going through it a second time, that's how I took it. I don't think they ever really, like, specifically addressed that, though. Right. No, but you just get you get him saying, like, is it time yet? Or, right. you know, maybe, maybe we should call them in sooner than we thought. And it's, and, and you don't know who them right. or they are. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, I think, yes, you're right. Like that's the intended effect, but we don't ever really find out what they're talking about. Like who, who is this? They and them. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I'm assuming we're not going to find out later that they really are terrible, awful people, but what do I know? Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, and so I guess with that, like, I guess one of the things I kind of like about that is that it then becomes kind of in the second half when everybody knows, okay, none of us are, you know, bad people here and we're all like kind of on the same side. Um, the little, the way it, it kind of serves as this like picture of normalcy that they all kind of long for, you know? So when Fred decides to go with them at first, 
you get all the others kind of pining after these idyllic parents, um, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of the poignancy of that, of like, you know, that, you know, Cordy's parents kind of turned out to be not great people and kind of left her, you know, sort of on her own, you know, at a young age and everything. And it seems like, you know, we don't really see much of Cordy's family, if anything. So, you know, the idea of like, there's a strained relationship there. Um, and like, you know, Gunn says, you know, like parents, you know, like he's one of these orphaned street kids, you know, he, you know, I don't know at what age he lost his parents, but he misses that idea. And then like Wesley's whole too much information about, <laughs> you know, we've gotten hints of like kind of the overbearing, you know, father that he has and everything, um, you know, and kind of wishing for parents that don't, what does he say? Uh, they didn't grind her into a self-conscious nub with their constant berating, their never ending tirade of debasement and scorn and, and the others. Right. So I'll kind of look at him like, all right, that's more than we wanted to know. Um, everybody gets kind of uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, like we don't really see anything of any of the rest of their parents. So, you know, Fred's family is now this kind of like, once we get over our suspicion of how normal they are, you kind of realize that something they're all kind of secretly longing for anyway. Um, yeah. Which I feel like is something Buffy dwells on, you know, wishing her life was easy and normal and all these things, but it's sure. not necessarily something we hear from the angel group so much, but like it's there. It just, it's not something they talk about often, you know, in the right. show. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think, there's a lot of points where where you kind of different characters wonder if they could be normal mm -hmm. um, or not. So I think it certainly works here. Um, and there's like, like two, you kind of, because you get the contrast from the beginning um, when Fred's parents first show up too, because they come in saying, oh, our daughter's missing. And the assumption is quite the opposite, right? right? Like, like you get Wesley and Cordy and Gunn all going right into, oh, like we'll help you find some, her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did some demon like was she into like Satan work? Right. <laughs> and like, oh, maybe a vampire took her and stuff. And they're like, what are you yeah. talking about? Like, so there is that assumption that like since they came here, they must know what this place is and what goes on and all of that kind of thing too so um it does sort of flip that on its head a bit of um you know where in Buffy I feel like so much of the time is spent like assuming that people don't really know about this sort of mm. hidden as right, right like we talked about like in the beginning of the series all the different like levels of knowledge and stuff that mm -hmm. different people sort of have and I think to some extent we've gotten away from that in Buffy a bit but I still think I it feels like in Buffy there's still like this 
overarching thing of like most people either don't know what's going on or sort of willfully choose to ignore what's right. going on. Whereas right. in Angel, it's much more uh, people really do kind of know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're sort of like, I guess you could just, you know, it's sort of that city wise sort of attitude, right? Which maybe, maybe you get just in general from like between living in a city and living in like a more rural town, like that, right. that idea of like, you know, being more urbane means, you know, really how the world works mm. maybe more so than w whether that's true or not. There's sort of an attitude there. I think right. this coming from someone who lives in upstate New York, <laughs> um, but no, I do think that there, you know, there can be that sort of attitude of like, well, you know, we here in the city know how things really work. And right. if you if you don't live in the city, then you're just some hick who doesn't really understand the way of the world right. as it really is and that kind of thing. And so with Angel, the show, you get like maybe that because it's L.A., like you get maybe a little bit more of that like people do kind of know what's really going on and, mm -hmm. and it's not so much of a hidden thing like it is in Sunnydale. Right. Which is interesting to then bring in like Fred and her family as a contrast to that. Cause right. they're, I don't know that I'd want to call them Hicks, but they come in with their kind of Southern accents. Like they're clearly not from LA. Like they're, you know, uh, yeah. they're, yeah. they're country folk, you know, and uh, they come in with, I think, I think like obviously a different perspective and in some ways like you need that outsider perspective who isn't the kind of jaded big city. Oh, I've seen it all type. Like there's something kind mm -hmm. of refreshing about Fred's family as kind of outsiders, you know? Um, sure. And maybe that's another thing that she kind of, even though she's obviously been through all this trauma, so she's not naive, but you know, she brings a kind of like, I don't know, innocence to it, which I think the others, I wouldn't really call any of the others very innocent anymore. You know, like mm. they've maybe been in, around the block too many times and they've been living in the city too long. They have more of that kind of urbane jadedness about them or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So she runs away before we know why. So when we're still presuming it's because they're like evil. Um, mm -hmm. And she goes, they think of where might she go, you know, the library, the taco stands, all the like, you know, the few places they know that she might like. And of course she goes straight to Lauren, which they don't think of right away, which kind of proves Lauren's point about <laughs> why does nobody ever think of me? But um Right, right. <laughs> Uh, which I want to talk about him in a minute. But first, she goes to him, you know, for guidance. Um, and I, I love that she just bursts in singing, yeah, like, right fully. away. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just sing anything. The most, the first song that pops into my head, just so that, which, of course, he doesn't need, because you can read her a mile away, even without psychic abilities, that she's, like, you know, upset about something. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't know that there's, I mean... It's hard to talk about because they're, it's still kind of in that part where they're trying to keep it, uh, you know, 
a mystery as to what exactly she's running from. So it's sure. they kind of talk in sort of code and they're very cryptic about it. Um, but like he has some interesting things to say about like in some ways he kind of enables her a bit. Like when you realize she's running away from actually very nice parents, you know, he kind mm -hmm. of encourages her in that and kind of says like, oh, you know, you thought you could outrun these monsters, but you haven't run far enough. So kind of telling her, like, if you don't want to confront them, you have to go farther, um, which is what she tries to do. So, again, back to the point of, like, Lauren is there to put you on your path, whatever it is. That's not necessarily the best path or the healthiest. He's not there to force you into a sort of confrontation. He's there to kind of you know, point you in a direction. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. And I'll admit, I don't, I'm not even sure I fully understand what's going on there. Like mm. why he's encouraging her to run away and that sort of thing, because it does seem to me a little bit counterintuitive. Mm. Um, especially when like, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, different nature of who he's talking to you know versus someone like angel who he's always encouraging to like face his demons literally right um whereas with fred like maybe it's just one of those things where it's like you're not ready yet so yes you should continue to run away kind of thing but um Again, like, I feel like I, I don't fully understand what the motivation there is to have, mm. like, like you say, to sort of enable or encourage her to run away in that point. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know that I have any great insight other than to just say I'm not sure I'm clear on right. exactly what the motivation, uh, other than the plot of... Needs her to keep yeah, going. We, yeah, you know, we need to have Fred run away, but like, right. you know, I don't... Yeah, especially since, I mean, you know, it, the other aspect of it. It doesn't play as well on a second viewing as it does on the first, definitely. The the other aspect of it, too, is, you know, and, and this could get into talking more about Lorne and his attitude and stuff, is maybe he's just being silly and vindictive. Maybe he's you know, like, in I, a, mean, I was just thinking, like, he's just in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but I don't, like, in the moment, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like he's being genuine, like, right. saying, like, oh, you, you know, the problem is you haven't run far enough. And right. so right. that's when you're like, oh, like, she really should be getting away from these people. But that doesn't turn out to actually be what's necessary. Right. Um, it seems. So, right. you know, again, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, other than... You know, again, like, I don't, I think we shouldn't assume that Lauren is, like, omniscient or anything either. Mm -hmm. Like, he might just be getting, like, a direction and mm -hmm. not know what the direction is leading to. You know, we can see after the fact that. Right. It she, led to a good resolution. You know, she goes yeah. to the bus station, which is where her parent, you know, where then Lauren tells them to find her. Right. And that's what leads to the confrontation with you know, the demon and whatever, and her parents, you know, basically become demon fighters and, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing too. And 
they get introduced to that whole world of things too. So, you know, it might just be that like he just knows he needs to point them her in that direction, not right. necessarily knowing what's there or why, you know, what the outcome's gonna be or whatever. Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. Yeah, like and that's kind of I think what I was thinking when I kind of said like it's it's about putting you on your path. It's not about saying oh, you need to confront these demons. It's about, I have a sense that this is where you should go. Mm-hmm. And whatever that leads to, that's the path you should take. But right. um, yeah, I want to entertain the possibility that he's just being uh, kind of a brat because he's kind <laughs> of a brat in this episode, you know? And um, yeah. he's, as I said in our notes, he's having a little pity party. You know, it seems like it's been a couple, <laughs> what, two episodes or something since we had him with his with the like showdown in in caritas and um he's not over it (laughs) he hasn't cleaned up he's not entertaining any customers he's kind of hanging around in his uh bathrobe and you know in his bar and um yeah and and seems pretty annoyed that nobody's really checked in on him to see how he's doing um so you know uh, I felt like he was pretty unfair to Gunn, considering Gunn, like, stepped in front of a gun for him, um, you know? And he's putting a lot of stuff on Gunn that Gunn's, you know, old gang did, that Gunn clearly did not endorse. Right. Um, you know? But, you know, he did have his whole place trashed, and nobody's really given him much of a thought since then, so maybe... I shouldn't judge him, but, um, yeah. He, I mean, I would agree that he is sort of wallowing a bit in his self-pity. Um, I mean, to be fair though, like this is a character that, um, is defined by his, you know, caretaking and empathy towards others, you know, of this being the guy always that, you know, that supportive person, the listener, the one who helps everybody. So, like, I, maybe he's entitled to an, a little episode like this every so often where <laughs> things are just not going his way and he doesn't necessarily get a lot of support in return for what he gives out. Um, sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, is there a reason he's delaying fixing the place back up other than just inertia um i'm not sure um so yeah um i mean it was funny it a little bit i felt like the meanness was maybe a little bit uh overdone like kind of out of character for what we've seen of him but again we maybe we haven't seen him pushed to this point yet. So, you know, maybe it's just a new kind of side of him that is, you know, just one yeah. we haven't seen before. Um, sure. But I did kind of, you know, chuckle at the like, you know, it's all about me. What about my me? My me is important, you know. Um, so. Okay. 
so she decides to leave and then changes her mind <laughs> which I mean we kind of talked around some of it but um you know I guess it's more the the realization that she you know I guess the thing it it, it seems like she's not really wanting to really leave in the first place, I guess, you know, it's more that kind of sense of, well, I wish I could stay, but I don't have, like she says, I don't belong here. I, there's no place for me. There's nothing I can contribute. It's not that she wants it to be that way. It's just that she can't figure out what is that right place. And it's not until she, you know, makes the connection that nobody else made, you know, solves the mystery of, you know, why, what are these demons and what, what are the crystals mean and what are they going to do, you know, and then comes back and kind of has the handy contraption that is the perfect thing to, you know, save the day and everything. It's sort of, that's the proof that she needed of, oh, I can contribute something, you know, valuable that the others won't necessarily get to without me. Um, so it's, it's, I guess it's not so much that she really changes her mind about what she wants. It's more that proving to herself that it's a worthy decision and that she right. isn't just a burden. She's not just there as another person for Angel to sort of protect and, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's a confidence aspect too there, right? Of not just... Like, you know, going back to the device thing, like, I mean, one, she's the one who realizes what the crystal stuff yes. on her dress and that they had seen in the in the sewers actually meant like, oh, it's not some sort of rock formation. It's blood, you know, dried blood or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and realizes the implications of that and thinks it through again going back to that idea that like she's the applied scientist right like she does she's the one who is able to you know kind of like you said synthesize the different aspects of what's going on and put it together and not to say that the other characters can't because obviously you know they've been doing that now for two and a half seasons or three right. seasons or whatever we're in now um you know but just that idea of like you know, she's the one who does it this time and sort of is able to do it this time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's valuable. That's, you know, that's something that you, once you recognize that you can do that and are confident enough in your ability to do it, then, you know, it becomes something that let you help the others who you care about and gives you sort of that purpose that, you know, or gives her the purpose, I should say, that she finds. Right. Um, yeah, her her stunning revelation of her true path in life, as she, right. as she calls it. Right. Right. So, which is quite a reversal, you know, going from I don't have a place here to I have this divinely appointed path. Like, you know, she kind of states it in, I mean, she's being funny, but... It's not just, oh, I think I'll hang around and help out. It's like, no, this is my, I'm meant to be here. Yeah. Um, this is, 
I belong here the same way that the rest of you do. Um, which, which is interesting when you think back to her conversation with Lauren, if we can revisit that again so yes. soon after we left it. Um, the question then becomes, what is she running away from? Because she says, I'm not strong enough to face my fear. And as, you know, when Lauren asks, do you know what your problem is? She says, I'm not strong enough to face my fear. And he says, no, you haven't run far enough. And so the question is, if we, you know, if we're going to, if we can get, again, a little philosophical with what Lauren is actually doing, where, where is she running towards? Well, ultimately, she does run away from her parents mm -hmm. because she stays. Like, That's a good point. You know, I, I mean, her, is her fear really facing her parents? Okay, in a way it is because we get the whole explanation of, you know, if you're real, then that means everything that's happened these last five years is real. Right. And, it makes her confront you know, the reality of her trauma like, and everything. Yeah. Like, so that, like, that's still, ha like, that's still true. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, she ends up running away from her parents. I mean, not, she tells her parents, I'm not going back with you. Right. But like, like, right. that could be interpreted you know, to be what Lauren's talking about all along. Again, right. maybe he's just pointing her in a direction and doesn't know that that's right. the what destination yeah, yeah. where yeah. she'll end up. But, but saying, you know, you haven't run far enough. Like, like maybe the point is that, no, you have to completely sever your ties with your parents. And that's the thing that she's too strong or she's not strong enough to face her fear. Um, in addition to like realizing that like, what that means is that she has to run to the angel team and find her right. spot in there, which is also fearful because she doesn't know what that is. Right, right. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about how, it that way, but how, I mean, I didn't think about it till just now, like <laughs> when it occurred to me. So, I mean, I like it. I, and I'll be honest. Like I felt like as I was saying that, that's like, not necessarily how the writers <laughs> intended it. You know what I mean? Writers, like, writers, who cares what they no, think? I, and and <laughs> I agree, I agree with you. Like authorial intent isn't necessarily yeah. always the be the, all in the end all. You know, yeah. the, the the thing we need to listen to. But I, I do feel like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, well if you look at it that way, then it works out nicely. So cool, let's look at it that way. <laughs> well, and um, it works out very nicely. It's not just like, oh, that makes me kind of overlook kind of slightly thin writing, but actually that makes perfect sense. Because um, that is what she ends up doing, is not, re you know, yes, reuniting for the moment, but then decisively, like up until then, she has not made that decisive deci decisive decision that decisive break with them. It's the best um, kind. Like, like she reaches everything she does with the parents is sort of, you know, tenuous. Like she reaches out to them, but she doesn't give them an address. So she doesn't, she doesn't go back to them, but she doesn't tell them no either. It's sort of like, that's that safety net, you yeah. know? And she's, she's leading them on. She's leading her parents on. It's so cruel. And, um, yeah, and, and if she doesn't tell them about what happened, then she doesn't have to confront it and think about it as real. Like, none of this, all of this is still up in the air, as long as she doesn't have to make that decision. So, yeah, like, the final kind of 
facing of her fear is to decide to leave home officially, even though she's been gone, she hasn't officially left yet. Right. So yeah, there, we just talked ourselves into uh, liking the, the kind of message of the episode. <laughs> there you go. Always fun. Um, well, the only kind of final thing I wanted to mention too is the reactions of the other characters, you know, because we talked a bit about, okay, she's this strange contraption that they don't know what to do with. But like, I think in the course, it's sort of like that thing of when you know you're going to lose something, you realize your real feelings about it. And, you know, in the prospect of her leaving, you kind of start to see the regret there from the others of how, you know, they will miss her. You know, and even Cordy, sure. who wants to kind of brush it off as though she's kind of annoying and, you know, I won't really. But then, you know, do you think she'll visit? You know, like Cordy, <laughs> like can't wait for right. her to come back and visit. Right. Um, so kind of if there was any doubt, you know, erasing the idea that they don't want her to stay, um, you know, uh, clearly they do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I even kind of like the way that each of them kind of sees again, with her being the kind of synthesis of all of them, each of them kind of sees themselves in her a little bit. It's like, there's that bit where it's like, Wesley's like, well, she was so smart and Gunn's like, but she was really good with a five iron. Like, you know, like each sure. of them kind of like picks on qualities that are important to them. Right, um, right. You know, and in, or, uh, sorry, Wesley kind of, unanimously votes her back in like just on his own authority and everything yeah. so um yeah i don't know that kind of wraps up my thoughts i don't know if there are any other points that uh you wanted to mention no not really i think um you know i mean i i think it isn't a secret that Amy Acker is continues to be in the series, mm -hmm. you know, for the duration at this point. So, you know, we'll see where that goes um, as far as her character and stuff. But yeah, this is like we talked about at the beginning. This was her solidification of, you know, her role in the series and, uh, you know, solidification in a Whedon series is of course more uh malleable than maybe in other series but um at least she's here for the duration and, and we'll see how that turns out but yeah yeah cool all right well then um we can move on to our bsg season one recap um and you know, I don't know that we'll necessarily go the full time on this one either. This might end up being a pretty short episode or relatively short episode for us. <laughs> but um, yeah, short after all, we've already talked for 45 minutes. It's all relative. Um, but yeah, so let's. Do you want to start with like awards and stuff or do you want to start with like the uh, Yeah, actually, episodes? let me go through some of the 
the little notes that I had first. Um, some of which I mentioned. Um, I think I mentioned in the preview that like this uh, first year won, you know, a Hugo Award and an Emmy and a Peabody Award. So, you know, some big names there. Um, I kind of want to mention too that some of the acclaim for the first season might also include some of season two because of the broadcast time, like it was all in 2005. So there's some, you know, overlap there. Um, right, right. It's all kind of in that first year. Um, but a few others I didn't mention that were kind of for the season was um, uh, a Spacey Award for favorite limited TV series. Um, it, the AFI put it in the top 10 of the year. Um, AFI also put it as uh, in their number one moments of significance for uh, picturing a post 9-11 world. So kind of hitting on some of mm -hmm. the like hot button topical things there. Um, sure. It was Time's number one best TV show of 2005. Um, and in the top 10 for Chicago Tribune, Newsday, and Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Um, and Saturn also gave it a nomination for the season one DVD, for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah, and the timeline I wanted to point out is interesting because it kind of runs it like a weird, like the seasons seem to run at kind of random weird times. It's not necessarily falling in the kind of regular broadcast calendar that, you know, like Buffy and Angel do. Um, so like season one, not counting the miniseries, ran from January to April 2005. And then in season two, they gave it more episodes. It goes up to 20. Um, but then they kind of split it in half like they do with, with the network. So it's sort of part one is in the fall and part two is in the spring. Um, but it's interesting because um, part one starts in July and runs to September 2005. So it's only what did I say? April? It's only a couple months after the season one, you know, sure. it's only like two or three months later, which I think is interesting when you kind of think about the big cliffhanger that the season ended on. Um, you only had to wait like, you know, uh, two or something, two or three months, you know, to find out the resolution of it. It's not like waiting half the year, like some other things. So, um, Actually, there's a longer wait probably from September to January. So, you know, um, just kind of interesting, like, I don't know. It changes kind of how I think about, like, oh, if I'd been watching at the time, how I, how would I have, like, you know, reacted to things? And how, how long would you have had to sit around and sort of speculate as to where things would go? Sure. Um, you know, yeah. and I think going from... 13 episodes up to 20, obviously that's a vote of confidence from the network, you know, from Sci-Fi Channel kind of saying that it was enough of a hit to, you know, give them some more money and more episodes to kind of develop the ideas. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so speaking of ideas, then we should talk about the episodes and our favorite episodes and then talk about sort of the season as a whole. Um, so <laughs> it was kind of funny because we both struggled a bit to um, pick what our favorite episode was. Um, I don't I don't know about you. Um, the reason I, I sort of struggled for two reasons. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I guess you could look, well, I, or more, maybe more to the point, like maybe you could look at the reason I struggled in from two different angles, right? Um, from one angle, I struggled because I didn't feel like there was any one episode that mm-hmm. stood out above the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, or rather that like, I mean, there were like maybe a few that I thought were like slightly better mm-hmm. than other episodes, but but none that were like clearly like towering above them all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can look at that in two ways. That's like, oh, you know. Because they all suck and, you know, whatever. Which I think is clearly not the case because we've right. already chosen this, you know, to spend our time talking about this series. So, right, like, right. I don't I don't, I don't, don't think either of us is going to say that's the case. I think it just shows that, you know, all of the episodes were of a pretty decent quality. And mm-hmm. so you don't sort of get, like, like with Buffy, you know, season four maybe where you have, like, Eh, you know there's it's maybe not quite as good as season three on mm-hmm. the whole but there's some really good episodes in it that kind of stand out and, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing um or even you know season five and six maybe is <laughs> even more so like that sure for buffy um but with um you know with bsg i think you know you just get a consistently high yeah. level of episodes i think the other thing is that right from the beginning here, we're dealing with a show that is much more arc heavy from Mm. a seasonal aspect than even Buffy or Doctor Who Mm. were. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it starts out with a two part miniseries. That's basically like three or four episodes kind of mashed into two, you know, pieces. Um, Yeah. So, you know, you start with that and then you get like the whole first season. Like, I think we, I I think the episodes that we ended up picking shows that there's like, you know, some clear like progress or not progress, but like direction Mm -hmm. in, in how the season itself plays out. And there's pretty much a almost exactly halfway a turning point, not just in like sort of themes and what happens um, and like the direction of the characters and how they interact and all of those things, but even in the types of episodes that we get, Hmm. Um, at least that's an argument that I'll make. And maybe as we discuss our, you know, the season as a whole, we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know we've done a lot and tried to make sure we covered like every character, each episode um sometimes maybe to the chagrin of those who are listening um but like here like maybe we can talk more about um we can certainly talk about our favorite episodes and stuff but maybe talk more just even about how those episodes sort of reflect uh the season as it sort of Mm. you know arcs as a whole and and how those episodes maybe exemplify kind of the two different Mm -hmm versions of the season because as it turns out we sort of ended up choosing two episodes that were sort of exemplary um of different halves or different portions Mm -hmm. of the season as it were yeah um and that's only 
because I was so nice and let you have the episode you really wanted. Um, but you've done that for Clearly me. Clearly, the best one. You you um, you did you did that for me before. So you I know. did that very recently for you. Yes, um. you did. So I'm not complaining. I'm just or or I'm not you know scratching my back too much. Um, but yeah, no. So anyway, I I know I'm sort of like hinting around the episodes that we chose, and not I don't mean to be like cryptic about it. Just wanted to point out that like yeah i do feel like they exemplify like sort of the two halves of the season and that like you know the types of episodes and and the style of storytelling and the ways that the episodes play out like i i do feel like they work together and that it makes sense the way that they end up doing that sorry like a fly just flew by me you're like (laughs) you're like watching me like grasp in the air freaked out at the um, camera yeah uh but I do feel like they exemplify, you know, like the the way that the season itself runs and, and the types of episodes that we get in each yeah. sort of half of the season. So Yeah. Uh yeah. With with that. Oh gosh. Um I feel like I have like five different responses like I yeah. wanted to try to remember everything I was thinking of while you were talking there because um to be more vague and cryptic for just a minute before I get to the specific episode, like I definitely feel the same as you that I had like three ish episodes that were kind of okay, I'm going to choose one of these and was finding it hard to sort of pick the one. Um, and I feel like in general, I kind of agree with you. This first, this that maybe says good things about this season that okay. It, it was very consistent and of a consistently like good quality that makes it hard to sort of differentiate. Um, you know, I, and I think there's pros and cons to that. Like, I think, you know, some of the later seasons, like the later, there's only three more seasons, but in the next three seasons, when they have more episodes, you know, that's a blessing and a curse, you know, there's, you get, you know, what's the law that says, you know, the more you have, 90% of it is crap. You know, like, I, I don't Stur- think... Sturgeon's Law. I don't think yeah. 90% of Battlestar Galactica is crap. But when you have 20 episodes instead of 13, I think your statistical likelihood of having a crap episode is hmm. is greater. Um, and, you know, not not guaranteed, but, like, I would say the later seasons have lower lows but higher highs, maybe. Um you know, that there are maybe uh, arcs and episodes in the later seasons that I feel more passionately in love with than I do with anything in the first season. But there's also some stinkers that I, I think this first season kind of avoids that generally. Like it is a pretty good consistent run throughout. And I don't know that there is a lot, maybe a couple you put up at the top, a couple at the bottom, but it's a, it's a fairly, you know, a straight line throughout, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, getting to the episode, I, I picked 33. So we can kind of use that to talk about like the first half. Um, I, part of me was resisting 33 because I feel like that is the, maybe the one obvious choice. You know, that's the one that gets onto those top 10 lists, you yeah. know? You resisted it until I told you I was also thinking of it, right? And then I and then, stole you, and then you immediately wanted it. Yeah. Well, you told me you had something else, so. Um, well, so, yeah, like, I 
maybe I would argue if there is one that you can make an objective argument of this is a clear example of quality, you know, it that might be, you know, the front runner. It might not be everybody's individual favorite, but it's certainly kind of up there. And you do see it on the lists, you know, all the many lists out there of, you know, best episodes or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I think kind of the things that some of the things that are interesting about it um, are, you know, you mentioned the amount of that we spend talking about individual characters, you know, which I think is interesting, given that some of the episodes do tend to kind of focus on a particular character, you know, they're not all equally about everybody. Um, but 33 kind of is. And I think that's one of the interesting things about it. Sure. Um, is it it doesn't necessarily narrow in on what's going on with Adama or Baltar or Lee or whatever. Like it it kind of gives equal weight to everybody, you mm -hmm. know, somewhat. And I actually feel like that's one of the things that BSG is really good at. That, you know, I don't know that every show is very good at that. Like maybe some other shows that I can think of do better when they do like character centric or standalone episodes mm -hmm. um and i'm not saying that bsg can't do those things but i i don't know when i've looked at like okay where are the points that really stand out to me a lot of the times it's the ones that are bringing the whole ensemble together and getting them to really like work together as a team um mm -hmm. you know and you're kind of getting to spend time like in the CIC and in the, with the pilots and in, you know, uh, the hangar deck and in colonial one, and you're kind of getting everybody's perspective on something. Um, yeah. you know, and I feel like this is obviously that's good to do for like a first, I mean, if we're not counting the mini series as, as part of the season proper, this is kind of episode one of the season. And you know, that seems like a good way to sort of kick things off is, okay, it's not about any one person, you know, it will be about all of them at different points, you know, and individually, but mm -hmm. it's not, it's not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's not Doctor Who. It's everybody, you know, it's, right. it's the story of this, of the battle star and the people on it. And it's the story of how they all work or don't work together um mm. and i feel sure. like it is good at that with without you know there are there are also those shows i can think of that like when they try to serve everybody they serve nobody um and it just over stuffs it with too much too many characters too much information whereas i feel like they they do a good job in this show of giving you enough kind of stuff to latch onto with each group, but not kind of over-egging the pudding, really. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I feel like it kind of, and so the other thing I thought when you're talking about um, how it kind of uh, sets up the arcs of the season um, is, you know, if we're thinking of 33 as kind of exemplary of the first half, is the way in which it's all about just like the basic necessity of survival, which I feel like everything in that first half, it's like, okay, we need water. We need, 
Yep. You know, fuel. We need like a Cylon detector. Like it's all the stuff about ammunition ammunition it's it's all you know it's all about the basic necessity of survival which is Mm -hmm. really hammered home i think and you know in 33 more than anywhere else where it's just you know from the moment it starts to the moment it stops it's it's just constant you know crisis um yeah you know so yeah we we need sleep yes (laughs) like that like I don't. I can't even remember if we brought this up, but what is it? Is it um like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You know, you have, um, right. you know, I, I mean, I it's not gonna it's not gonna work out perfectly, of course, um, with this, but you have like basic needs are like you know food, water, warmth, and rest, mm-hmm. right? Like like these are the things that are covered in like the first half of. Yeah. You know, this season of Battlestar Galactica and and in the first like four episodes, yeah. even yeah. like um, and then you get to like security and safety, just like right. in general amongst the fleet. You right. know, once you have those basic thing, um, you know, basic, you know, basic, basic needs. Right. And that it turns kind of a little more theoretical, <clears throat> you know, of OK, how do we ensure long-term survival through security and all that kind of thing of like, right. You know, and whereas, sort of the higher order. Right. Yeah. What kind of, of a, what kind of a society are we going to be? And like, which I think gets into, then it, that bleeds into the second half and kind of, I think, you know, where we'll go from there, but yeah, like out of the gate, the first episode is all about, you know, just keep going for as long as you can and it you're just barely hanging on by your fingernails because you know the 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 villains are coming at you you know every 33 minutes so it you can't think theoretically or long term because you have 33 minutes in which to figure out how to survive until the next 33 minutes come you know comes Mm -hmm. along um sure and so just sort of interesting too, like when you were talking about um, sort of the air dates and, and, you know, timeline and stuff, how, you know, okay. So you have like season one ending in January and then season two starting in July versus, you know, when a normal Mm -hmm. uh, season might start later in the fall or whatever. Right. Um, Going the other way, you had, a much longer time between the um the mini series yep. and the start of season 1 and yeah, like and year. also yeah like from december to october so like right. yeah like a month and a half shy of a year or whatever and it's like um you've you've got with with the mini series i mean one it's a mini series so like it's kind of meant to be a standalone story mm-hmm. albeit with the possibility that you know there could be a full series to go on with it but you know the idea is Cylons attacked us we fought back or tried to and couldn't really do it so now we're gonna go run away and find earth and that's sort of where it like ends yeah (laughs) right but now it's like suddenly with 33 it just starts right off of and here are the practical implications of looking yeah. for Earth. Like, you know, there's no, even though you have the 10 and a half months or whatever, you know, time frame in between, like in the real world, 
there's like there's no time frame like i think we get you know we get a i I forget they say like oh this 33 minute thing has happened so many times and i don't i don't remember what you know how many times it's happened but like you get the sense that that's been constant since the last time we saw them like like at the end of miniseries part two like 33 minutes after the end of miniseries part two right boom the cylons show up again right action stations here we go yeah yeah yeah, exactly and so you know it does a really good job of that sort of thing um and and sort of following on those implications and um you know giving you that sense of like yeah the world the world being like the universe has gone to pot for us. Like this is, you know, everything is in chaos and we just need to figure out Mm -hmm. what's going on. And, and so, yeah, so all the way up to, you know, I guess, I guess actually, you know, thinking about even, even sort of more along the lines of the the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because you do Mm -hmm. have like, you know, the second episode is water. And then mm. you have like Bastille Day, which is like, you know, keeping prisoners in, you know, where they belong kind right, of thing. Right. Sort of like um, physical safety. Yeah. But then you get into like, um, you know, you do, you do get like the things of like episode like five and six. It's, it, you know, they start to get a little more philosophical. So mm. it's, you know, um, thinking about like broader security with like you know you can't go home again and stuff and like you know with starbuck kind of going going off on her own not Mm. going off on her own but being you know stranded on her own and sort of the implications there and then you get like six degrees of separation where you have like more like this is like the god stuff right right um you know where you have baltar and six and and sort of the different uh uh stuff that's going on there yeah and that's where we start getting into where my episode is if, if unless you have anything for the first well time. i was just thinking you were saying like you know uh you can't go home again is the one where starbuck gets stranded and we spend a whole episode arguing about whether or not we should leave her behind like that's not that's a luxury you cannot afford in 33 right you know where they literally leave people behind and shoot down planes that might even have the possibility of having been compromised you know by the time you're halfway through you get to you can't go home again and we now have enough of our basic needs sorted that we can afford to hang around longer than we should looking for one one pilot you know um so you kind of see how quickly how quickly it changes, but like, it's a progression. Like each episode Mm -hmm. you get further away from, okay, we're going to die any minute to, okay, we have a bit more room in which to have these kinds of big discussions and arguments and everything. Right. Um, which brings me to my episode that I picked, which I feel like, I mean, the line's a bit fuzzy maybe. So you could argue Mm. that maybe, the you know six degrees of separation is where that starts or even a little bit before but mm-hmm. um the episode i picked is flesh and bone um which is in many ways the exact opposite of 33 because it's not it's not the 
oh, you know, here's here's how everyone's working together and, you know, trying to fend off the constant Cylon attacks. But it's it's one on one. It's Starbuck and Leo Ben. And then, you know, you get like Adama and Roslyn mm-hmm. doing their thing. And um, you have you have Baltar, you know, with Boomer. Um, mm-hmm. testing her and see if she's a Cylon and lying about it and whatnot. But um, the main story, the the like primary story is is the torture, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, again, like you know, you're focusing in on two specific characters and you're like really sort of hammering at this you know, when is it okay and appropriate to torture people like this is like high philosophical stuff Mm. you know of like the sort of exercise you would have in like a freshman philosophy class (laughs) of you know if you could get information that would save thousands of lives would it be worth you know taking one life to do that or you know torturing one person to do that kind of thing Mm. um for starbuck the answer is yes (laughs) like like that's pretty clear um okay sorry i i won't go into specifics of the story like i was just about to um i mean well i was just gonna say like for roslyn because like doesn't roslyn say to her like basically do whatever it takes and then like starbuck does whatever it takes and roslyn's like appalled by it (laughs) right right um and then you know uh you know starbuck sort of expects roslyn to show him mercy at the end for giving up information and roslyn sort of chucks him out the airlock so yeah like there's a lot of you know each of them it's not easy to place them in the boxes of who's cruel and who's kind, who's right. good cop or bad and, cop, you know? And and ultimately, Starbuck does sort of seem to be the more empathetic one mm. because she's the one who, like, puts her hand up and mm-hmm. there's, like, the whole, like... Praise for his soul, yeah, you know? Yeah. If he had a soul, you know? Right. Um. But anyway, to pull back out of the weeds of that particular story, I also think... Um, thematically for like the arc of the second half of the season and 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 so like i guess you can you know leave uh, we'll leave it to the as an exercise to the listener as to whether the first season is that an upward arc and then the second half is a downward arc or is it the other way around is, mm. is this like sine versus cosine or you know like <laughs> you know how how this all works but um yeah the the thing that i like about flesh and bone too is i do feel like it it marks sort of the halfway point for the second half of the season based on what leo bin says to roslyn Mm. you know in that moment before she throws him out the airlock um and plants that seed of distrust uh about obama Obama, adama (laughs) why do i keep doing that adama being uh, potentially a Cylon. Right, right. Well, not, I mean, he doesn't say potentially, but, you know, 
Rosalind immediately, re, her immediate reaction is, you can't trust anything he says. Mm. But of course, we know in the very next episode, she's, you know, looking at Adama yeah. differently than she had before. Right, so, right. and questioning him and wondering if he's a Cylon and suggesting that maybe he should be the one to be the first to be tested, right. you know, with Baltar's new process or whatever. Um, and that continues through the rest of the second half of the season, mm. is that that tension uh, culminating, of course, with the last two episodes, the finale, um, where you have Rosalind making decisions that counter, you know, Adama's authority as mm. the military commander. Um, and then Adama, you know, basically staging a military coup. Mm. Um, but all the repercussions of that, too. So you have Starbuck, who, okay, not exactly the first time that she's disobeyed an order, but maybe the most significant time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then you've got, uh, uh, well, the stuff with Boomer, mm -hmm. you know, um, following orders, but then coming mm -hmm. back and shooting Adama. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, she's someone who heretofore has been completely trustworthy and right. you know why wouldn't they trust her with this sort of mission and in fact seems like she's going above and beyond by right you know forcing her co-pilot to fly into the base star with her and you know getting out to dislodge the nuclear bomb and you know like right. Right. like all these things that you wouldn't expect but then turning out to be the biggest right. You know this big traitor, um, and I, I. Sorry, go ahead. Well, sorry to interrupt. I never realized this before, but isn't it supposed to be Starbucks' mission? Mm -hmm. So her leaving enables the Boomer thing to come to a head because it's right. Boomer that goes in, and it shouldn't have been her. If if Starbuck hadn't right gone off, gone awol, she would have been the one to, you know take the raider in and do the thing with the nuke and everything. So yeah, there's a def a direct cause and effect there, you know. Right. So all of that I think leads back directly, I mean, of course, cause and effect, everything leads back to something. But like I feel like as far as the turning point of the arc of the season, mm. flesh and bone and what Leobin says to Rosalind in you know at the end of that episode is what sort of triggers so much of you know it's the pebble that releases the avalanche of the rest of the season basically mm -hmm. of the distrust and you know uh, uh, betrayal and that type of stuff that that continues yeah uh, throughout the last half of the season yeah yeah that's a good point um, another thing I thought that is different than 33 and maybe different depending on which part of the season you're looking at too is, is the treatment of the Cylons, you know, in 33, they're this faceless multitude mm. that are chasing you, you know, ceaselessly across the galaxy. And then in flesh and bone, it's one guy, you know, and you get to know him, you have to think of him not as like this 
dehumanized other, but as this very human appearing, you know, person who's in the room with you and like, you know, it becomes, uh, that's where the ethical stuff gets trickier is when it's just them out there, you know, you can think about them one way, you know, but when there's a man in the room with you, it changes sort of, you know, so you, I think we're given a different perspective on the silence the further the season goes on um because we get to know them better you know by that point that's after uh six degrees of separation when you get all the stuff with shelly godfrey and number six is sort of uh manipulations there and um and it's after um i think litmus is the one where doral comes and you know blows himself up like you know does his suicide bomber thing so like you're getting i think by the time you get to flesh and bone you've you've been given more up close examples of cylons not just Mm. not just the the anonymous horde that are kind of coming at you which is mostly what you get in 33 i think i mean the mini series really um but it gets more and more intimate the further you go on. Sure. Um, so yeah, I don't really know where to go from there. Cause I feel like, I mean, again, I don't want to necessarily get into specific character lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we touched on them a bit here, um, but you know, one, cause we do that every week, but also sure. like, sort of the purpose of the the series or season recaps is to talk about um sort of the bigger themes and stuff Mm -hmm. so um any other sort of thoughts that you have along those lines um anything that like doesn't maybe fit into that two halves of the season i mean i don't think so i i think most of the stuff other than that we've kind of talked on in in bits and pieces and kind of looking over the episodes i think it does this is a good a well-constructed season in the sense of like it presents storylines and then it sort of resolves them by the end i mean obviously it's a cliffhanger so it'll go on but like you get right away you're introduced to the main ideas which all kind of come to a head in cobalt's last gleaming so you have like you know boomer as the kind of sleeper agent is exposed by the end, you know, and does her kind of, you know, mission that she's been sort of trying to resist. Um, You've got Baltar being told all this stuff about his destiny by number six. And by the end, he's standing there in front of his sort of holy cradle, you know, embracing the beauty of, you know, you know, the next generation of God's children and everything. Um, you mentioned Adama and Roslyn, who kind of start out at odds with each other and then have kind of an ebb and flow in, you know, terms of how much are they in sync with each other, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of, by the end, like you said, it sort of spirals into a, a definite break, you know, like they have disagreements, but it's not really until the finale that you have them, you know actively opposing each other in their decisions and everything. Sure. Um, I mean, 
obviously there's other ones too, like, uh, you know, Starbucks relationship with Adama culminating in her disobeying his orders, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we kind of talked about, I, I don't know that there are any main plot lines that they leave unresolved in this season. Like, I feel like they do a good job of like presenting you with, these are the ideas we want to explore. And then they all sort of, you know, culminate at the end. Um, yeah. So it's a satisfying, I mean, I find the, that finale satisfying, like in that sense of like, it's a really good kind of climax of all of the like plot lines so far. Mm. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, manages to do all that as a well, as a good episode. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're just overstuffing it with all the too much. It's like, no, it's well, it, it has a nice sort of flow to it. It feels, it doesn't feel overly kind of, I don't know, rot. Um, so, yeah. Cool. cool. I mean, unless well, there was any other things that you wanted to talk about, I think we can maybe wrap up. Yeah, I know. It just feels like so early. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, no, I, I don't think we need to belabor the point. So, cool. Well, then we'll be back with uh, another episode of the first episode of season two for mm -hmm. BSG. And then uh, uh, another episode of Buffy. Uh one that has been called a pretty good episode oh. um, for this season. So nice. Um, not and and it's not even the uh, not even the musical. So <laughs> no, we have a not couple yet. couple weeks before that, couple, right? Few few more weeks. Yep. Oh, almost there. Almost there, but not yet. I uh, like musicals, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. But this is also a good one, and. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll give a brief hint that we we get to see the trio again, so oh okay. already already so soon. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, they were kind of set up, but okay, so we right. get them right away. So yeah, there's not really a wait to see them. Okay. Cool. All right. All right see you then.